This is a work from nearly 300 years ago, a fantasy for solo violin by Telemann that sounds fresh, alive, and compelling to our ears in 2022. Timothy Schwartz is rendering the notes with the utmost technical facility, but because he is a real artist, these notes sound as if they're being played spontaneously, as if improvised for us to enjoy right here, right now. This is a work written just over 250 years later, in 1998, by the award-winning composer Jennifer Higdon. It's sparklingly alive as well, performed here by violinist Timothy Schwartz, violist Molly Carr, and cellist Lawrence Stromberg. These are three musicians who care passionately about the music they make and about helping young musicians hone their skills to the highest level, while at the very same time cultivating their capacity to create distinctively, artistically, and as collaborators. Timothy Schwartz is an award-winning violinist with an international career on the faculty of Rowan University. He is the founder of Techni Music, and that is an intensive workshop experience for talented young string players that's underway at Moravian College in Bethlehem, culminating this Wednesday evening, June 8th, with a concert featuring Brahms, Beethoven, and Bartok. We had a chance to speak by phone with Timothy Schwartz and faculty member Lawrence Stomberg, a distinguished cellist from the University of Delaware School of Music, about this year's festival and about how the concept came together. Timothy Schwartz. I did found it, although Larry's been with us the entire time. And it started, our first session was actually in 2013. So next year will be our 10-year anniversary. And I used to teach at Lehigh University up in the Lehigh Valley for 12 years. So I, I was there quite a while. And while I was there, I had a really strong class of high school students all violinists, and a lot of them went on to major conservatories. Others didn't go into music, but are now in, like, Harvard Medical School and Stanford and Johns Hopkins. And there were many opportunities for them to play orchestra, like the district and regional and all-state orchestras. And there were quite a few solo competitions, both locally and, like, in the Philadelphia area. But there was not a lot of chamber music options. And I think Larry and I can both agree that, that chamber music is just one of the most important things for a musician, not just to develop your skills, but you learn how to interact with other people musically and just personally and how to really convincingly do something that maybe you don't 100% agree with on the musical level. And there's just so much that, that you really can learn from that. So I pretty much started this for these students. The very first one, we didn't have dorm rooms or anything like that, so it was a lot more local. But we brought in some wonderful faculty. So like I said, Larry and I were in it from the very beginning. Molly Carr, who just was appointed to the Juilliard Quartet, was actually our, our viola faculty for the first couple of years. 
And then David Kim from the Philadelphia Orchestra was our special guest artist. So we've taken that model of where we have usually three faculty that are there the entire time, and the entire festival is only five days. It's very short, very compact. And then we bring in one or two sort of special guests the last two days. In addition to that, the model we've done is to have it small but extremely high quality. So we never take more than 16 people. That's our sort of our maximum. And tuition has always been low. And for the last two years, our board has actually voted to have it be tuition-free. So no one who has accepted pays any tuition at all, just a very small housing fee if they decide to be in the dorms. Larry, was there something in your own formation as a musician that was equivalent to the Techni Festival? Or is this something that you're coming to and saying, yes, let's craft this. This is very special. Well, uh, a little bit of both. Uh, I was very, very fortunate uh, when I was growing up. I grew up in southern New Mexico, of all places, uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico. And as a young string player, uh, I was very fortunate that there was uh, a conductor. She was a violinist, but she also conducted the local orchestra. It was a university and town orchestra. And she made it her, sort of her passion that when she noticed young string musicians, particularly, who seemed to show promise, she would sort of get her hooks into us, and she'd uh, have all of us over to play chamber music. Uh, so that was my first experience as a chamber musician, was going to this mentor's home and playing string quartets with my friends of the same age as me. And so when Tim started to put Techne together, I was having slight flashbacks of, you know, this wonderful experience of getting to sort of delve into chamber music as a young teenager, and just how that set my both my musical course for me, but also, as Tim said, playing chamber music, working on chamber music is such an amazing training grounds for just being a good human being and good collaborator in whatever you end up doing. So uh, I was really excited as Tim started the festival that we could do this for the kids originally just up in the Lehigh Valley, and now we have a much broader sort of national reach. Naming sometimes can be hard. How did you come up with Techne? So Techne is the Greek god of artistry. And usually a lot of musicians look to the Greeks for some sort of name. And so I think the goal for this is to make to make people, their students, you know, that are maybe technically very proficient into true artists. So not just playing all the right notes in the right places because a computer can do that. But how do you how do you put yourself into it and then combine that self into four individual people becoming one group and like one voice. And so we felt that was really that was really the perfect the perfect name to to really make that that transition. And that's sort of our on our logo. It's it's from technique to artistry. So the Greek god of artistry is what it what it's for. And the muses are with you then, of course, too. Yes, yes, we hope so, yes. (laughs) And so you have a very concentrated time period, and you have students who may not know each other. Let's say you have 16. How do you approach the artistry part? You have pieces select for the duration. So Bartok, Beethoven, Brahms, this time? Yes, well... We always keep our fingers crossed, I must say. But part of the selection process is not just who's better than who, but like what would be a good fit for a group. And a lot of times we do know the students. We have a lot of students return, you know, year after year after year. So a lot of them we do know, but, you know, a lot of times there are people we have never met. We're just watching a video. And so we, we do our best to try to really match a group, both in artistic levels 
But if if they're both, say, like we have two students coming from Eastman, they know each other, they're friends, so we figure, okay, they will most likely get along, you know, and so we, we'll put them in a group. But the students are all mailed their music about six to seven weeks ahead, and they're mailed their part plus a score, which, you know, score is basically all four parts going along at once, so you really can see how they interact. And then they're also given a list of instructions of what to do to prepare their own parts. So just on a basic level, it's like if everybody has like a rest where they're all silent at once, you might circle that so you know like you don't play in that rest, for example. Or that you're the violinist, you have a line exactly with the viola, you might mark that in. But if the cello maybe has something opposite of that, you might also want to make sure you know that so that you're, you're coming into the first rehearsal with an enormous amount of knowledge. It's almost like if you're looking at a play, you don't just learn your part, you learn all the other parts and the, the characters and the history of the play. And so you're really coming in with a knowledge of everything, not just your part. And uh, enough students have been here enough times, they, they know how crucial that is to come in the first day with that. Because if you don't, it's not, it's not a success. This music is too difficult to put together in just five days unless they really come in with that, that knowledge on day one. And that's what the expectation will be, won't it, as they get out into the professional world? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. definitely. If you want to continue to be successful as a professional musician, doing those sorts of things, certainly in the chamber music world, is an absolute necessity because it, it indicates sort of how thoughtful a colleague you're going to be if you've gone to the length of really preparing not just your part, but really knowing the entirety of a score, the entirety of, of the work that you're preparing, uh, including some historical background and theoretical background. And uh, those are things that we also try to do at Techne in terms of, of what we feel as part of our mission is, is to be preparing these artists. We have talks about how to be a good colleague and how to, how to rehearse well, how to prepare your part well. And Tim does a remarkable talk about how to promote yourself and how to sort of make your way as a, as a young professional in, in the world. So uh, that's, that's part of our mission, too, not just to create the best musically artistic product that we can for all the students, but to, to really help give them some skills to be successful as they go off on their, on their own careers. We recently had a conversation with three chamber musicians. They're all pros now, but two were students of the third at the Eastman School. And it was clear that their professor had helped those students understand the importance of being well-rounded individuals who do more than practice 24-7. In this very short five-day period, are those the kinds of exchanges that can happen? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I mean, as Larry mentioned, we have some official lectures on that, but, but as you sort of hinted, you know, a lot of times, even though this is only five days, the relationships go on for years. I mean, several people that have come here have decided to either go to Rowan University where I teach or University of Delaware where Larry teaches. So that's a relationship that goes on for another four years. People that maybe haven't chosen to go to one of those schools, they, they very often will call us with just questions about where they should be going or what they should be doing or my arm hurts. Is that normal? You know, I'm anxious. Am I the only one that's anxious? So even though it's five days, when you think about it, it's almost as much time as a chamber music group would get over an entire 15-week semester at a university. Because at a university, they would meet about once a week for an hour, and they might rehearse on their own, but that would be the coaching they get. So 
they, they get almost that amount just in five days. And they're seeing all of us. And they also see how we interact. And all, all the faculty, we all get along very, very well. And it's, it's noticeable. And we've had some really interesting career changes and career moves. And so, yeah, they, they do very often talk to us after, after the official day is done. Yeah, it very, very often we do get a lot, of, a lot of discussions about life as a musician and sometimes just life as life. And Dominic Salerni's coming in to be with you, right? Yes. So he'll be there the last two days. I've known Dominic since he was five years old. So I, I know Dominic a very, very, very long time. And uh, he was actually a technique a long time ago. But he will be there along with Melissa Reardon, who has East Coast Chamber Orchestra, and we'll be doing the Brahms viola quintet. So the three of us plus the two of them. And we're just thrilled that he can come. What a what a wonderful musician and person. And, and it's just, it's really nice to have someone right from the Lehigh Valley that is known throughout the world as just really one of the great chamber music violinists in the, in the country and really throughout the world at this point. And that brings the question to us. You all are interested in the living, breathing composers and Dominic and Ataka come tearing in at all kinds of speeds. And so you all can address that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I know Tim and I for sure, and and our colleague Sheila Brown, who's our viola faculty member, and and certainly Dominic through Ataka and and Melissa through East Coast Chamber Orchestra. We're we're all frequently working with living composers, and whether that's through commissioning or or just bringing in new works. And even though we're doing sort of older music at Techne for what the students are working on in the Brahms that we're playing as faculty, I think all of us are are really committed to the continuing creation of of new music. It's not a classical music as it's as it all gets called is not it doesn't need to be a museum piece. It has to be a living breathing organism and and that certainly I know that uh, both Tim and I are, are are very passionate about that and passionate about that with our students as well. Because we all grow as individuals each day, of course your performance of Brahms would be different now as opposed to 10 years ago. But also, in the meantime, you've had exchanges with composers you work with. And wouldn't that have a bearing also on the way you interpret Brahms now? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, as Larry said, we we both work with contemporary musicians a lot, a lot of living composers. And we, we both have had pieces written for us. And it's just so fascinating. You know, you get what looks like a final product, and then you go to the composer and you say, you know, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? In fact, Larry and I, many years ago, recorded a string trio by Jennifer Higdon. We were making an entire CD on Naxos at Jennifer Higdon's early chamber works. And this was a very early work of hers that she wrote when she was a student at Curtis. And, I mean, we didn't make drastic changes, but still some little tempo changes or, or articulation changes that were definitely not marked in. And when we played it for her, she loved it. She said, that's great. You know, like I, I, I never, I wouldn't have thought of that, but that's fantastic. And I see this a lot with composers, you know, they, they bring you something. And if you only play music by people that are dead, you kind of see this as just the word of God. And that is, you know, you try to make every note exactly what it should be. But when you work with living composers, you realize that these pieces have a life of their own and they really expect the musicians and the performers to put their own thing into it, whatever, whether that's large or small. But um, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, the more I work with living composers, the more I, I see Brahms and Beethoven as just human, really human beings, but human beings, you know, and if something sounds great and it works, great. If it doesn't, you alter it a little bit. So yeah, no, I would, I would definitely agree with that. 
And what will happen on the culminating evening of the Techni Festival when we're all invited to join you? Yes. So the the final concert is on Wednesday, June 8th. It's in Pater Hall, which is a little tricky to find if you haven't been there. If you know where Foy Hall is, it's in the same building right across from Hotel Bethlehem. And the concert is at 7 o'clock. It's totally free. And the first half is basically four student groups. So they all will play a movement of the work they've been working on. So two of them are doing Brahms quartets, the first and the second quartet. So they'll both do the first one of that. Another group is doing the last movement of Bartok fourth quartet. And then another group is doing a Beethoven string trio. So that'll basically be the first half. And then the second half are the faculty that come on and do the Brahms Opus 111 viola quintet. If we were in the audience, what would we lean forward to particularly? What's a moment or a stretch where you would say, wait till you hear this? <laughs> well, I mean, as a cello player in this particular work by Brahms, which he originally wrote this piece thinking it was going to be his, his going away present, his retirement uh, final piece that he, that he wrote. And then he managed to get a little bit of extra inspiration shortly thereafter and continued to write, thankfully, for a little longer. But this work is really unusual in a, in a few ways. As I said, being the cello players, that there's a very big, large cello solo at the beginning while the other four players accompany the cellist, which is a little unusual in and of itself. And it's rather grand and spans three octaves and is, is quite something. Uh, I, I think one of the really other interesting things, and this is a feature of Brahms in general, but I think this piece really has a lot of this type of thing, is Brahms likes to mess with the, the sort of the expectation of, of rhythm for the listener. So pieces are in a meter of some sort. So in the opening movement in the string quintet is in 9-8, which is a collection of three large beats with sort of three smaller beats inside of those. And what Brahms does occasionally is, over the course of the music, he will sort of shift things. So an emphasis that you would think should be on the first beat, say, of a, of a bar, ends up being on the second beat or the third beat or somewhere else. And it has the effect of shifting our expectations. So when something comes back to its original place, say, on, the, on that first beat of a measure, we're, we're jolted a little bit because it felt like he cheated somewhere. And so Brahms does this a, a ton, as do lots of other great composers. Uh, Beethoven really, I think, was particularly good at this, and, and composers like Dvorak and Schumann. But there, there is a ton of that type of rhythmic surprise in the Opus 111. And you, Tim? <laughs> I, I, I agree with all of that. I mean, it's Brahms, there, there's always that moment where you feel just comfortable enough where you start to pretend the beat is actually where he wants the audience to think it is, even though it's not where it actually is. And it, it's, a, it's a real mind trip to try to do that. But I mean, in addition to that, I would say the, the slow movement is just to die for it. It, it is so beautiful. I mean, it, it opens up with this heartfelt viola solo that is really just, just incredible. So that's 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 always a movement. I mean, I love all four movements, but that's that's the one where it's like, oh yes, okay, <laughs> this is this is a Brahms that is absolute best.
violinist Timothy Schwartz, artistic director and founder of Techne Music and currently associate professor and head of strings at Rowan University in New Jersey, speaking with Lawrence Stomberg, who is professor of cello and associate director of performance studies at the University of Delaware School of Music, who has been part of Techne Music from the very start. The 2022 faculty members include Timothy Schwartz and Dominic Salerni, violins, Sheila Brown and Melissa Reardon, violas, and Lawrence Stomberg, cello. There will be a culminating performance this Wednesday, June 8th at 7 in the evening at Pater Hall at Moravian College Main Street in Bethlehem. It's free and open to the public, no tickets required, and if you can't get there in person, there is a live stream link. That's Wednesday at 7 at Pater Hall at Moravian College in Bethlehem, free and open to the public. The program will include Beethoven, Brahms, Bartok, and this complete work, Quintet Number no. 2 in G Major, Opus 111 by Brahms. For more information on the web, technemusic.org, technemusic.org, T-E-C-H-N-E, music.org, T-E-C-H-N-E, music.org, Wednesday, June 8th at 7, Pater Hall at Moravian College, Main Street in Bethlehem, free and open to the public with a live stream link that you can find at technemusic.org. We're very pleased to say that Tim Schwartz has performed here a number of times as part of the WVIA Simply Grand in-studio concert series that's produced by Larry Voitko.